Welcome to Bartend Better Now, where we share interviews, seminars, and educational pieces from around the globe, all collected from throughout the years of our journey to Bartend Better Now. Whether you're just starting out in the industry or have a passion for cocktails, we hope you enjoy. Hey, it's Rob Houston, and welcome to the first episode of the Bartend Better Now podcast. We couldn't think of a better podcast to start it off with than one entitled How to Compete Better in Bartending Competitions with Anthony Pullen, sponsored by Bowls Liqueurs, and we're going to get to know a little bit about Bowls Liqueurs and all the great stuff that goes into those bottles, a little bit of that education first before he dives in and how to score better, compete, and properly prepare to hopefully win your next bartending competition. Hope you enjoy. Enough to come up here, show us all about bowls and all the liqueurs, and then he's going to teach us how to compete better, how to compete smarter, how to score better in cocktail competitions. And I've known Anthony for many years. He's an amazing flair bartender and just as amazing bartender mixologist and all around great guy. So, with further ado, Anthony Bowen. <laughs> The great guy just broke the, uh, the football table. Um, guys, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really enjoy this part of my job where I get to travel around and present to you know, groups of enthusiasts, cocktail enthusiasts, and it's always a pleasure to come to a newly formed USBG group. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, the rest of the, the chapter, uh, for having me down. Uh, what I wanted to do was, obviously, we're going to talk about how to compete in cocktail competitions, but I also wanted to do a quick presentation on the unique and amazing company that I work for. Um, I work for the Lucas Bowls. Uh, I have done on and off for many years. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I started bartending, I don't know, like years ago, like uh, 10 years ago, cleaning glasses in a bar, and then I, I worked my way up. I, I've been a flair bartender for many years. I, I was very privileged to be trained by lots of great mixologists during my time. And I fell into the lap of Bols when I gave up my job working for Procter & Gamble after I, I graduated from university. I, uh, I, I was streamlined into Procter & Gamble to, to work in pharmacy and I hated every day of it. So I called my mom and I told her I'm moving to Amsterdam to be a bartender. She didn't speak to me for a while. But um, yeah, uh, and, and I fell into the lap of Bols and this company had just been founded. They'd just come back from from, uh, from France, they were owned by Remy Contro at the time and they just started to re-establish themselves in Amsterdam. No, but the company was founded in Amsterdam. Now, you'll see, I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar with these kind of bottles, right? The cheap, nasty liqueurs that you just get and you use behind the bar. Oh, I'll call it what it is, I'm not shy. But you'll notice one, one f fantastic number on the front of the bottle, it says since 1575. This company has existed for over 400 years and they started with making liqueurs. The Lucas Bowles family was one of the first great distilling families. They learned how to distill in Flanders. They learned how to, Flanders is modern day Belgium. They traveled up north uh, because of religious persecution and they started to produce liqueurs in Amsterdam. Why Amsterdam? Why, what is it about Amsterdam? Can anyone tell me, has anyone been to Amsterdam? Does anyone know anything about the history of the place? The ports. Exactly. It was the major hub of com uh, commerce and trade in Europe during the Middle Ages. If you, were, if you were a trader or if you were anyone important, you had to know how to speak Dutch because they were the superpower of their day. And that was led by a company called the VOC. The VOC is basically the 
uh, English version of the East India Trading Company, only they were much bigger, much more powerful. To this day, no other company has ever existed in the history of mankind that made so much money, was so influential. To give you some idea, they could raise their own armies, they could mint their own currency, they were given permission from their home country, Holland, to take over and act as members of parliament and just basically take over countries and rape and pillage and go around and collect slaves and stuff like this. Can you imagine if Google or uh, if Microsoft or Walmart or stuff could do that? It, it, but this was happening in that day. These, these were super, super, super powerful companies. And what they were doing was the Dutch at this time were traveling all over the world and bringing back herbs and spices into the port of Amsterdam. Now, Lucas Bols has been there for, for many years and he was producing lots of fine liqueurs. At the time, it wasn't triple sec, yogurt, elderflower. They were mixtures of liqueurs. For medicinal purposes, they were taking you know, different, different, uh, different berries and exotic fruits. And imagine a time where the first time you see a lemon is like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> but this was happening to people. You, um, if, if you ever read any books on the spice trade, things like uh, black pepper that we take for granted, we just you know, it's in every restaurant, everywhere. It's cheap. People used to believe because they were told they used to believe that there was a, a, a peppercorn normally comes out green, right? Right? You know what a peppercorn looks like when it's raw. So how does it become black? They believed that the tree was guarded by a phoenix and only certain people could come up and collect the, the peppercorns from this tree. And if you weren't of a certain class or a certain um, ethnic group, then the phoenix would kill you, which is why peppercorn was so expensive. And millions and millions of dollars. Cinnamon, same stories, different myths. Now what Bols was doing, they were bringing back all these beautiful, beautiful you know, ingredients if you like, botanicals, and great, you got them on a ship, how are you going to eat them? You know, they're fresh ingredients, they go bad. Give me one, um, one thing that alcohol does. Preserves. Preserves, exactly, it's a solvent, it will strip flavors out of different, you know, different uh, components. So it's, it, if you dissolve cinnamon in it, fresh cinnamon, pe green peppercorn, it won't go bad, it will stay good for longer. So, well, the Dutch were, and how many people know Dutch people? Does anyone, anyone from Dutch descent, anyone from, anyone know Dutch people very well? One of, the, one of the classic traits, and they don't hate me for saying this, is they're super tight and they're very, very smart business people. And what they did was, and they've always have been, I don't know why. This is how a country the size of New York, Manhattan Island pretty much took over the world. Um, they were bringing in these herbs and spices, basically distilling them, Lucas Bowles was, and then sending them back out of the ships and selling them for a higher amount of money. So hang on a minute, I've got, I produce the cinnamon, I send it back, and then I get a cinnamon flavored liqueur back, and it's more expensive than the one I sent. It's insane, right? But that's how they spread. And obviously they weren't just sending it back to the, the sources, they were spreading it around. Now, now we get to this stuff, the Geneva. So they, they've been making these liqueurs, they've been sending it out for medicinal purposes, and it's become a commercial entity, they're making money. Now they want to show their power, show their pride. So what are they going to do? Well, there's this wonderful, wonderful thing. And I, I, I should have brought some with me and I completely forgot to do it. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie and say it got lost in the post. Is there any juniper berries, you're all familiar with it. Okay. What are they? It's a tree? Yeah. Any, any, what kind of tree? It's a pine tree, exactly. It's a conifer. So actually, 
berry, they're not actually berries, they're actually pine cones. And pine cones are quite weird because in, in humans, pine cones are quite toxic to eat. I, I can only find one example other than juniper where we would consume pine cones and that was uh, in the Andes somewhere they used pine cones to flavor llama meat. That was the only other example. In general, they tend to be quite toxic. Now, juniper does have amazing effects on humans, even today. It wasn't witchcraft, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just make-believe like the, the phoenix. It was an actual, it has medicinal properties. Indeed, like if now, if, if you're pregnant and you, for some reason, ladies decide to drink some juniper oil concentrated from the health food shop, you will go into premature labor and you will, you know, you will give birth before you're due. It's a very, 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 very powerful, um, the oils from the juniper berry are very, very, very powerful effects on your body. Also a very good diuretic, a topical anesthetic. You can rub it on a wound. It will stop it from swelling. It will stop it from getting infected. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a remarkable thing. So during this time, juniper berries were growing in Europe. They didn't have to be imported. So they, I guess you could say they're like the Asahi berry or the super fruit of the day. Everyone wanted it, everyone saw the benefits of it, they wanted to use it. Now the Dutch, they're like thinking to themselves, well, we've got this market covered, why not just start doing these juniper berry things, tell everyone how great it is and send it out to the rest of the world. And that's exactly what they did with Geneva. Now unlike your modern English style gin, which didn't exist at this time, because the Dutch started it, these guys were distillers. They knew how to make good base spirit. They knew how to pot still because they were Catholic, they learned it from the French. Same story, they came up from Flanders because of religious persecution. When you think of, uh, I, I'm pointing to this, but it's not a, a, an example of that. When you think of English dry style gin, you think heavy juniper hip. You think a lot of botanicals. This is more malty, more flavored from the grain that it's made from, which is rye, wheat, and corn. Rye, wheat, and corn, that sounds familiar, right? A mash of rye, wheat, and corn. Whiskey. Bourbon. Yeah. So all, all Geneva is is essentially a white whiskey base. And rather than age it, they add botanicals to smooth out the flavor. But not in the amounts that the English did, because the English are not great distillers. And it hurts me to say it, but they were shit at it. <laughs> they were. They make beers, ales, ciders, things like this. Um, the Irish and the Scottish, they're distillers, but they're Catholic countries. And they're pretty much at war all the time with with the English, so they're not going to tell them how to do it. During the time when the English started to discover gin, in fact, the reason they came across this whole juniper craze at all was because there was a Dutch king who took control of the English crown uh, and he banned French imports because all the aristocracy were drinking brandy at that time. You know, I'm not going to, if I'm the king of England, I'm not going to buy French products, am I, and give them money. We're at war with them, for God's sake. So the only other option that the, uh, you know, the people that could afford imported spirits would be Dutch Geneva uh, which is where the term Dutch courage even comes from now people drinking uh, shots of Geneva and you know Dutch are really like massive when I go to Holland I have to drive I have to cycle a girl's bike because I don't fit on the men's bike I'm not tall enough it's not even a joke it's crazy or a kid's bike they're massive all the guys are like six two six the average size is great second tallest race in the world after the Maasai it's insane so anyway the English are now making a gin, and that's probably the one that you know now. But if you, uh, if you ever get a chance to try Geneva, think of it more like a white whiskey. Think of it more complex, more flavored from the grain. It does have the botanicals that you would see in a classic gin, but a little bit more toned down. And they're used to make the spirit more subtle rather than the major flavor component.
Okay, that's the major difference. Now, I've got three little anonymies here. And um, these are Italian, right? What the hell is a Dutch company doing with Italian spirits in their portfolio? These are the only spirits that we produce and make and sell in the US. Well, when I told you in the beginning that the company used to be owned by Remy, Remy Contro were a French company that used to own up until 2006. In 2006, our current CEO, Hoop van Dorner, who is a Dutch guy, decided to bring the family back to Amsterdam. This, the Bols family started in Amsterdam. It got sold multiple times to different com companies. I won't go into that now. Eventually, it ended up in the hands of Remy. This has got a fantastic story behind it. Galliano, I'm sure you all know what know or heard or at least seen a bottle of Galliano before. This is the, the if you like, the pivot of, of and, and the, encompasses everything that the company is all about. In 2006, Hoop Van Dorna, our current CEO, bought out, he led a, uh, an internal management buyout of the company, of the Bowles company, and wanted to take them back to Amsterdam. He convinced uh, investment bankers that he could do a better job by bringing it to Amsterdam and going back to the roots, bringing back the old recipes, so bringing back an 1820 Geneva and making it available all over the world, innovating liqueurs like Lucas Bols did and bringing out things like yogurt and elderflower, by the way that was before Saint-Germain, and also this one. Now you're probably familiar with the purple label Galliano, maybe, the Harvey Woolbanger version. 30% alcohol, 60 proof, very, very thick, thick vanilla flavor. This is the original recipe of Galliano. It was made by a guy named Arthur Vacari, who is also the guy that makes this Zambuca. And uh, yeah, 1896 was the first version of this made. It's made in Torino, Italy, which is also where they make vermouth. All of the, all of the vermouth flavors are in there. It's made from, can you believe this? Nine separate component parts, four separate distillations. If you think of a whiskey or a gin or something like this, it's only one distillation or maybe they say triple pot still, but it's the same spirit going through three times. This is four separate distillations of uh, an oil extract. They even use a perfume house to make it. So um, I have some of this to try. I have also, talking about innovation, a Galliano Ristretto. I'm gonna start handing these out as well. A Galliano Ristretto. And this is, uh, you anyone know what Ristretto is? Anyone Italian? Anyone a coffee fan? It's a short shot of espresso. They pack the grind really tight and then they force the pressure water for it. You get the same amount of caffeine in half the amount of, uh, of water, of, of liquid. So it's a really thick, acrid coffee, but it's, it's phenomenal. And obviously, Zambuca. Again, thick, cloying, syrupy spirit, right? Try the Vakari. You can see it there. It's, it's light. It's not, it's not thick. But I want you guys to try some of our innovations. So I'm going to... Uh, Rob, do you mind if you hand that out? Is the elderflower, the yogurt, see, and the ristretto? Yeah, we have the... Uh, no, this is the barrel-aged Geneva. Oh. You have three different ones. So yeah, I, w I don't have enough for everyone each, so if you just do like one or two a table, that would be great. So you have the barrel-aged Geneva. You have the yogurt and you have the ristretto. Now the reason the barrel aged Geneva, when you taste it, it's so far removed from gin, but imagine the fact that 
the English were attempting to recreate this when they came up with Gordons and Tanqueray. <laughs> the white one? That's the yogurt. That's one of our innovations. It's a yogurt liqueur. It's made from real yogurt, made in a Dutch, Dutch, you know, in a Dutch dairy. That's the that's the barrelation, Eva. Yeah, it's so crazy, yeah. And I'll tell you something amazing about it is you can mix this with fizzy drinks. It won't curdle like Bailey's or Kahlua or no, not Kahlua, sorry. Um, uh, no, what's the other one? Um, Kamula or whatever the African one. Amarula, that's the one. Um, yeah, it won't curdle. It's also low fat, low calories, so if you want to put it on a brunch menu, no one will hate you for it. I'm going to have that one. <laughs> so what do you guys think? It's good, right? When you taste the Geneva, does that taste like gin? No. Wait. Juniper moonshine. It's not far removed. Well, this one has been aged. This uh, this spent two years in a, in a in a barrel to mellow it out as well. So it's actually. Do you think it's closer to a whiskey than it is? Than it is a gin, right? It's definitely got botanicals in it. It's definitely got botanicals in it. And what about the yogurt? Isn't that an insane product? A yogurt liqueur. It kind of tastes like cream cheese frosting. Yeah, and it's not offensive either. It doesn't curdle. It doesn't curdle. The only, the only thing that will make it curdle is if you put it into high alcohol. Then, uh, then it will fall out. But other than that, that's the yogurt. So, what you'll see, guys, is the company really is, although it's from 1575, since 2006 into 2008 when it was reintroduced into the United States. It's actually quite innovative and pushing forward. And these are the only things that we sell. One of the other things that the company holds very, very dear is education. It's all about bartenders knowing what they're doing with the products. Because we have a completely different range of things. I mean, we have 32 flavors of liqueur, which you probably already know. But we have a, a different mentality when it comes to training. It's not me standing up here and telling you, you should do this and mix it with that. We should do this. We like to do technical things. We like to see people work faster, smoother. Because at the end of the day, if you make 20 Negronis with this, but it takes you 10 minutes to make a Negroni, good. If I can teach you how to make a Negroni in five minutes, and you can make 20 30, 40, 50 a shift, everyone wins. You make more money making tips, company makes more money selling booze, you guys feel a little bit more appreciation in general, everyone wins. So, we set up the Bowls Bartending Academy. It's the largest, bar academy, the largest bartending academy in Europe. Um, I was very lucky to be a teacher there for a long time, and it really helped me progress as a bartender to learn everything there is to know about the bartending world. I'm still learning. I don't think anyone ever stops learning. But what I wanted to do today was, in fact, we wanted to do it a couple of weeks ago and we couldn't find a time to do it before the Frenet competition. But I'm going to do it afterwards. And we're going to talk now about how to compete in cocktail competitions. And there's a real science behind it. There really is. It's not just you versus the world. You have to find a way to do it. So I've got a little presentation. 
Why? <laughs> why? You have to ask yourself this. In fact, I'm going to ask you, why did you do the Frenet competition? I love Frenet. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun, and bragging rights are awesome. So, <laughs> see, I can tell. I can tell already. The one of the reasons why she probably did so well is that undeniable love for Fanet straight away. It was like I love Fanet. That's my first answer. Number two, I love competing. Number three. So, whenever you have the opportunity to do a competition, always ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this? What am I going to get out of it? If you think for a second that the reason why you're doing this competition is to win the first prize. You're going to be very disappointed in the end. You might get there, but also gauge it. Say to yourself, okay, why am I doing this? Well, is it because I actually want to do it? Is it because I want bragging rights? Is it because I, want, I appreciate the product? Is it because I want to learn more? Is it because I want to challenge myself? And you should always be challenging yourself in this world. If you want to do well in a competition, you're going to have to study. Because at the end of the day, it's like an exam. You all went to school. You're going, to go, you're going to get tested. And that's what they're doing. Juries will test you. They sit there and they look for things, not that you do well. Most of the time, they're looking for ways to take points off you. Now, I'm not talking any particular competition in, in this presentation. I'm talking in general. So different rules will come up in different competitions. So what you need to do is study what, who's won that competition before. What are they looking for? If a brand is sponsoring, so if you know, for example, we just launched our Bolts Around the World competition, our global competition, search for the best bartender in the world. We're going to send them, if you win the US, you get sent to Amsterdam and you fight it out against 12 people from other countries all over the world for a grand final place. You're testing on all different kinds of things. Guess what the, guess what the uh, theme of the competition is? No. Innovation. I said it before. Innovation. Doing new things. Yogurt. So I say yoga, but they've been they've been doing things. They've been innovating for a while now. They've been looking back at the history, and now we're going to start to innovate. We're going to start to bring new products out. So think of it like an exam. Look into what you're what they're trying to achieve. You're not trying to sell your drink. You're trying to sell yourself to them. You're trying to say, okay, I understand what your brand wants from me in a drink. So all you're doing, research the past winners. Last year, who won? What did they do? What made them win? Was it a simple drink? So why the fuck am I making homemade ingredients? Was it, uh, you know, was it, how many, how many ingredients did they have? Did they have four? Well, maybe that's what the judges are looking for. They're all available online. Look at the brands, look at the sponsors, look at the people that are, that might not just be a liquor brand either. It could be a clothing brand. It could be, uh, there's lots of different things. Hangover, uh, brands. It could be, um, I, uh, we're going to hold a competition in a bar and we need to create a brunch cocktail, basically. It's a brunch account. So you're not going to rock up with vermouth. You're not going to rock up with, you know, a stirred drink and in a martini glass. It's just not going to work. So do your research, study. And know the rules. Know the rules of the game. Every competition will release rules. I'm going to do a, a, a quick... Uh, a quick go through, I haven't, I haven't actually read the rules for Bolts Around the World yet. I got them on Sunday, so I figured it would be a good chance for us to discuss and read between the lines of what they're trying to ask. And it's quite an interesting thing because this is something that flair bartenders do better than mixologists, I think. Because, in my experience anyway, um, they will 
look at ways to argue every single point. So understand every single line that's in there. If it says you have to use X amount of liquid, X amount of use half an ounce, one and, one and a quarter ounce, whatever it is, make sure it's in there for God's sake. We had to disqualify like 10% of the people from last year's Bolsa Around the World competition because they didn't follow the rules. It was quite simple. It's written in ink. Read them, understand them, and ask questions. There's a Twitter feed, there's a Facebook page, there's somebody's email in that rules. Ask them. There's no such thing as a stupid question. There's a stupid entry, and there's just a thing as a stupid question. So ask questions and look for the easy points. If the competition is broken down into, okay, you're going to get out of 100, you're going to get 30 points for something innovative, you're going to get 10 points for technical execution, you're going to get, I don't know, 50 points for your presentation on video. If you stand there and do this, that could be the greatest drink in the world, but guess what, it's not winning that competition because you didn't understand where the points are allocated. So look at what the competition is looking for, understand the rules, understand where the points are going. And be anal about it as well, it's like an exam as I said, it's like being at school. And this is very important as well. Uh, go back to this drink you just created. Great, I got this amazing liquid in a, in a glass. Guess what guys, yeah, you say it in food every time. Visual pill is so much more important than taste. So much more important than flavor. Think outside the drink. I say try different combinations. So if you make this drink the first time and you think, okay, this will work well stirred, serve it up, stirred, tastes okay. Just give yourself 10 minutes, shake it, strain it, serve it on the rocks, serve it on crushed ice, blend it. Who knows, it might be better in another way. Don't get stuck in your, in your like, okay, I'm gonna stir this because it should be stirred. The name is everything. If you think of the best cocktail names, the best selling cocktails around, they're ordered by the name. And you know this, behind the bar, most people don't even know what they're ordering, they're just ordering a name of a drink, right? How many people know that rum is in a mojito? Do they care? No, they want a mojito. How many people, like uh, Harvey Woolbanger, again, great name, sold half a million cases of Galliano, uh, half an ounce of drink, half a million cases in the 1960s because of the name. It wasn't a, an a, astonishing drink. Think of your names, be really creative. And again, this is important when you tie it back to the brands that you're working for. Find something in their story, find something, that anchor point that relates to what they're trying to achieve. In the case of the Bolz one, it would be, come up with an innovative name. Do not call it a Dutch daiquiri, or a, you know. Yeah, Bolz Deep or something like this. That's been done, it's been done before, by the way. <laughs> and also, Look at the, again, go back to the visual appeal, you have the garnish. So the garnish is not just a lime or a, a mint thing on the side, it can be how are you presenting this drink? Um, how is it coming out? What is it, does, does, does the garnish fit the story? Does it fit the style of the competition? Does it fit the style of your drink? Everything is all encompassing. Your look, the way that you look, the way that you stand, the way that you bartend, is also being judged. Whether it be points on the score sheet or not, if you fit what that 
brand or that organization that's running the competition are looking for, you will score better than somebody who doesn't fit. There, right. So if you're, you know, if you're working for, a, I don't know, uh, let's let's say uh, a cognac, but they're very very exclusive, you're going to want to turn up, buttoned up, and and looking good and very classy, everything controlled, no spills, anything like that. If you're working for a party rum, going nuts, they want, they're gonna be like this, they use Jamaican drummers in their advertising and stuff like that. You can rock up in a t-shirt and, and beads and be a little bit more fun and a little bit more loose. There's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to be sure that you suit that style of competition. That comes from learning the rules, doing a bit of research about who. And it's not about you, it's not about your personality. That comes through, if you're good enough, that'll come through anyway. You're trying to pick up points here, guys. You're trying to win. You're in this, in this to win it. Your delivery, same thing. How you deliver the drink to the judges. Is it just on a napkin? Have you done something with the napkin? Think outside of the cocktail. Maybe you have your name signature on the napkin. Maybe you don't even serve it in a glass. You serve it in a different vessel that has something to do with the brand. I don't know. Maybe it's the bottle that's cut in half. The actual bottle. There's so many possibilities. If you get creative, you can roll with. Um, your story, a lot of competitions, you'll get mic'd up and you can talk. What are you going to talk about? Are you going to talk about the ingredients in your drink or are you going to tell them the story about how you came up with that drink? Guess which one is better? The story is always better. Always tell a story. And professional application is, this is the one that kills me whenever I see cocktail recipes. You know the online recipes? You say, send me your... Uh, Send me your recipe online. How many people actually take the time to proofread their email before they send it? This is your first impression. When you send it, if it's online, if it's written, you have to write it. Please take the time to spell check it, plan it out, look at it as a whole. Don't look at the individual text, look at it as a whole. None, no like fucking paragraphs. Just one massive paragraph. This is my drink. It doesn't, it's not visually appealing. It's not good. Guess what? That person who's reading the email might be one of the judges and they've already drawn their opinion on you before you've even tasted the drink, before they've even met you. You've made a bad impression. So your first impression should be good. Spelling mistakes are the worst thing you can do on a, on a cocktail competition. Especially when you're dealing with professionals who are, who are, about to give, who are prepared to give away thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> this is one of the things that I find so hard for myself to do, but it's very, very good to do. It's very actually empowering to do. Judge yourself. So you know when you make a drink and you think, this thing is fucking awesome. I love this drink. All right, and you get so blinded, blinkered that it's a good drink. No one can tell you otherwise. What you need to do is make that drink, sit it down, read the rules, and pretend you're a judge. Actually pretend you're a judge because normally you'll get the score sheets as well, how they score. And score your drink. Critically, be the worst. Be Simon Cowell. Just be an arsehole for yourself. And just judge yourself and see how that fits in. You'll find out, you'll find out quickly whether it's a good drink or not. Because guess what? You're not going to be able to... If once you present that drink, mic'd up or not, it goes over the bar, you can't stand up for yourself after that. If there's an argument coming your way, you can't stand up for yourself, you can't argue back the other way, you're done. So think about it from a judge's point of view as well. And you'll be a better judge if you've done your research as well. And practice. Uh, this is a boring slide, I couldn't find a picture for this. Um, 
So practice not just the drink, practice your story. Practice your technique. Practice how you're going to present it. Talk about it. Talk about the whole presentation, what you're going to do, how you're going to stand, what you're going to bring with you on the day, how you're going to e send your email, who you're dealing with. Ask for feedback. So when you're at the bar, you, know, you can test this on your patrons at the bar. Ask them what they think about it. And again, don't get defensive. Ask them, okay, how can, I, how can this be better? Because you never know, on the judging jury, it might be Johnny Public there as well. Just, oh, I don't like it. Tastes too bitter, tastes too sour. You know, test it on random people all the time and ask for feedback and tell your story. Tell your story is the most important thing. If you're doing the ones, if you look at the great cocktail guys that do really well in competitions, they take you on a journey through their drink and then bang, there it is. And everything about that drink is, I want to taste that now because it has everything to do with what this guy just said. And again, simple things, pronunciation. If you use Averna, know how to say Averna. If you're using Geneva, don't say Genevieve or Geneva. It's Geneva. Learn how to say the words that you're about to say. There's nothing worse, nothing more unprofessional than somebody who stands up and goes, oh, this is a great story, great story. And they keep saying a name wrong. I'm sure you've all seen it before, right? If you see it on TV these days as well, people are like, what is, what is he talking about? I get away with it because I've got an accent. And then when it comes to the performance, if you're on stage, you're standing in front of 200 people, it's easy to say, but be confident. Be, okay, this is my drink, I know what I'm doing, guess what, I did the research, I studied, I know, what I, I, know, I believe that this is going to be good, that's one of the things as well. This is going to be fine. Manage your nerves. Is, I've done hundreds and hundreds of flare competitions and guess what? I still shake, I still get nervous, and that's normal. But being able to manage that comes with practice. So the more competitions you do, and the more times you put yourself into that situation where, you feel, where, you're, you're, where you're feeling nervous and things are going a little bit astray and you're losing, losing control of things, get, the, only way to, the only way to get better, unfortunately, is to do more competitions. Did you guys, any of you guys feel that during the Fanet thing? It was so easy to do it in your kitchen, and then when you got on stage, I don't know what the format was. Did you have to present on stage as well? Yeah. Did anyone else notice the jigger going and the bottle going? I did that. Yeah, who had it? <laughs> Come on, you all had it, right? No, I, 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 I fail to believe that nobody, nobody didn't shake unless you were wasted. But I put this one as well. I call it the matrix effect, and it's a, it's a big thing that happens in flair is because your adrenaline's pumping and you're nervous, when you're going through your motions, you find yourself, um, it's easy to spot in flair as well because it's all choreographed to music, you'll find yourself ahead of the music. It seems like you're going slow, but actually you're going really, really fast. So the same thing in a, in a mixology competition is you'll be going through your motions, but actually you're doing it really fast and that's when the mistakes will happen. That's when you'll spill and when you'll drop and when you, when you muddle your words and you get lost in your story and things go astray. So, Deliberately, when you're on stage, do things slower. Deliberately make yourself go slower. And guess what? To everyone that's watching, it seems like normal speed. Trust me, it, it, it's so weird, but that's, that's what's happening to your body. Let's say look the part, dress up nice, get an early sleep, go get your hair cut, do what you need to do to present that brand properly. Don't go out the night before, get wasted, whatever. 
there's some competitions nowadays where they're giving away thousands and thousands of dollars. You go, you ask yourself, do I deserve $10,000 for this six minutes amount of work? If I'm hanging out of my ass, I haven't showered, I look like death, and, but it was good because I had Fernet last night. No, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. No matter how good your drink is gonna be, they'll make sure it doesn't happen, trust me. And yeah, uh, this becomes part of being confident. Believe in what you're saying, believe in your story, believe in your drink, believe in yourself that you can win the competition. If you don't have a belief inside you that you can do it, then you're just falling to the crowd. You're just one of many. And it does come across when, when you speak and when you do things, and this guy's a great example of it. He's not even that great of a, a technical bartender. Phenomenal character, tells wonderful stories, and believes in everything that he says and does. And he'll go down in history for that. Jerry Thomas, same thing, technically not even that amazing. Guess what, he was a show off and believed in what he did. He went down in history. It really is the, the belief in what you say is what's, what's selling you as a person and then ultimately your drink. And again, be responsible for your own presentation. If you rock up to a presentation and somebody says, yeah, sure, I've got, a, um, I've got an iPad cable for you, don't believe them. <laughs> because it will be the wrong one. But it's the same thing with your, with your presentation. Again, it's like an exam. You bring your own pencil case, bring your own tools. If they say, okay, we provide glassware, we provide ice, Think for a second, okay cool, what kind of venue am I going to? What kind of ice can I expect? Get it together and be responsible for your own stuff. And when it does go wrong, guess what? It's your fault. You can't blame anyone else. And that will make you a better competitor. And this is, leads on to this. Deal with the result, no matter what it is. Lose graciously. I fucking hate it when you get to a competition and somebody's like, what do you mean I didn't win? Oh yeah, well this is bullshit. She used to date him and that's one of the judges. Blah, 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 blah. Come on guys, just get over it. There's another competition. You didn't win, it's probably for a good reason. Um, and if you win, don't, don't, don't tell everyone you won in the group because guess what, the people that you're speaking to, a lot of them probably didn't do so well. So you can win, win graciously, ask for feedback. Win, draw, lose. Go to the judges and say, thank you very much. What could I have done better? Because you can always do better. No one, no one gets 100% in a competition. But also, ask them for your next competition, what can I do to go up another level? Rather than win, okay, what can I do? If I came fourth, what can I do to make third? What can I do to make second? And work your way up that way. And be honest with yourself. Don't kid yourself. If you know you fucked up, say, okay, I fucked up. I'm not going to do that next time. Let's... Let's uh, adjust it for the next competition and go from there. Let's be honest with myself and say, okay, maybe I, I shouldn't have used that or said that and that didn't make sense. So next time, I'm not gonna do that. Because a lot of people will be, well, this is bullshit. They didn't get, they didn't understand what I was saying about, well, it's probably your fault. Um, and learn from your mistakes. And this goes for practice as well. If you make a mistake in practice, the definition of crazy is repeating the same movements over and over again. So if you drop, make a mistake, spill, ingredient doesn't work, learn from it. Take a step back, say, okay, cool, well, that's not working, let me change that, rather than force the issue every time. And that's pretty much it, guys. There should be one more slide. Oh, that was it. I got a summary there so you can write it down, but the key is,
So, Jesus. There it is. So in summary, ask yourself these key points. Why are you doing the competition? Did I study? Do I know the rules? Am I thinking outside the drink? Did I judge myself? Am I practicing right? Can I perform? And do I know how to deal with the result? And guess what? Repeat that every competition you do. And you will do really, really well. And it doesn't matter what style, it doesn't matter who the sponsors are, it doesn't matter what the outcome is, you will get better and better and better. Trust me. And that's it from me. And there you have it, our first episode of Bartend Better Now. Hopefully you got to learn a little bit about the Bulls line of products as well as how to compete, score, and kick ass in your next bartending competition. Thanks, Andy Poland. Thanks, Bulls. And thank you for listening. Hopefully you like and subscribe and add to that playlist. And we'll see you on the next episode. Until then, don't forget to bartend better now.